Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slashfilm Daily for August 22nd, 2017. On today's show, we'll be going into the water cooler and talking about Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom in the news. We'll be talking about the passing of Jerry Lewis, Godzilla vs. Kong, a potential horror movie mashup, an R-rated Knight Rider reboot, and new Star Wars and Jurassic Park video games. And in our feature presentation... Ben Pearson and Jacob Hall will join us to discuss the good and the bad of this week's episode and season of Game of Thrones. But with me now is Brad Omen. Brad, how are you doing? Great. Over the weekend, Brad, I, I rewatched Ryan Johnson's The Brothers Bloom, which I don't think I've watched since the year it came out. Have you seen the m- movie? Oh, yeah. I love that movie. It was one of my favorites that year. Uh, my my girlfriend Kitra hasn't seen a lot of the Ryan Johnson films, so we've been revisiting. Uh, I showed her Brick, and I showed her Brothers Bloom. Um, I remember loving Brick a lot more than Brothers Bloom, but n- now seeing it um, today, I, I I mean, Brothers Bloom is not a great movie, <laughs> um, but it has so much greatness in it, and I don't know. I I really really believe that this is. Uh, a lot of people don't, you know. A lot of people like to praise Looper and Brick and leave out Brothers Bloom, but I, th- I, th- I think they're they're missing something. I think that there's some some beautiful whimsy that the score in this movie, the acting, the uh, there's just so much greatness. about oh, you said it was one of your favorite movies of that year. Yeah, I actually think I, I think the movie is great. Like, I don't think uh, I mean it doesn't just have greatness in it. Like, I think it's a genuinely fantastic movie. It's you know Ruffalo and Adrian Brody are great in it. Rachel Weisz is fantastic in it. Uh, you know the way the story plays out is it's interesting and it's fun. It's engaging. It's it's never boring and it's just yeah you're you're right. There's a certain level of whimsy in it that uh, you know gives it a, a different feel than movies of that kind usually have. And I feel like when it came out, it was getting compared to, like, you know, he was trying to do Wes Anderson. And I feel like people are just comparing it too much against Brick because Brick was so much its own thing. And this is kind of like a jarring second film. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not the same as Brick. It's very yeah, different. It's completely different. Yeah. But um, 
I don't know. I, I very much enjoy it as much as it's, I, I don't think a perfect film. Uh, I, I, I really just love this film. Uh, it, it's, I don't know. It, I, I think if I were to say, I think that he set up too many twists for this movie. I think, I think it didn't need that, that much of a complicated twisty story near the end, but, um, I, I would recommend anybody who hasn't seen it, and especially people that are getting excited for the last Jedi directed by Ryan Johnson to go revisit the brothers bloom. Um, and you know, after seeing these movies, my girlfriend's like, I don't know what his star Wars movie is going to be like, because you realize after seeing brick and brothers bloom, Ryan Johnson is, uh, a very unique filmmaker. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like his sensibilities. Uh, he's a very smart guy, but his sensibilities so far on screen have not been star Wars in tone or do you know what I mean? No, for sure. You de- you definitely can't pinpoint whether like whether whether what a Ryan Johnson movie is. You know, it doesn't there's nothing really about his style that is like like with Spielberg or Scorsese where you can pinpoint, you know, that they directed a certain movie. And so I think that's part of what makes him directing Star Wars so exciting is we don't know entirely what to expect. Yeah. I I think if there's anything that you can pinpoint with Ryan Johnson, it's that he's a smart guy and he does he always executes things in a clever way that you're not expecting that I don't know I always w- watch his films and I'm like oh my god that's so cl- that's such a unique angle on things and I hope he does that with Star Wars. Also over the weekend I had dinner at the Magic Castle. Uh I mentioned on this podcast previously that I am trying out to become a member of the Academy of Magical Arts uh in Los Angeles. Uh the Magic Castle is a prestigious organization, and I've practiced magic for many years. So, but I mostly just for friends. I, you know, I don't perform in public. So, I've been very nervous to ever try out to become a member of the Magic Castle. And over the weekend, um, one of my favorite magicians and a listener of this podcast, John Armstrong, who is a two time world champion of magic. Uh, was gracious enough to invite me to dinner and uh, give me some pointers. Uh, by the time you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, I will have already auditioned for the Magic Castle membership committee, and uh, hopefully I've gotten in. Uh, hopefully it's good good news, although I've done a lot of internet searching and read a lot of, uh, should I say, horror stories from other people who have tried out and failed. Um, but fingers crossed that I get in. Uh, the Magic Castle is a great place, and I would love to be part of that community. And, uh, yeah, shout, shout out to John Armstrong for uh, giving me the tips. Uh, if I if I failed, it's his fault. If I got in, uh, it was because I, my magic was good. But let's move into the news. Over the weekend, Brad, a comic legend passed away. Jerry Lewis died at the age of 91. You were at the story for, story for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Yeah, you know, it's just uh, one of those cases of uh, sad news as, you know, these legends of entertainment are getting older as time goes on, and we're, we're starting to lose more and more of the names that we knew over over the years, and Jerry Lewis lived a full life. Uh, he died at 91 years old. There was no specific cause of death given, but, you know, considering his age and all of the things that he endured health-wise over the years... Uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of time catching up with him, and he he died peacefully at his home in Las Vegas. And yeah, this is like this is you know a guy who shaped entertainment for decades. Uh, a lot of people 
you know, obviously know him because of he, he was a longtime partner of Dean Martin. They worked together for 10 years uh, doing nightclub stage shows, making movies together. And then after they went their own separate ways in 1956, Jerry Lewis struck out on his own and had his own uh, fledgling movie career as a director, a writer, producer and star of his own movies. Um, what's interesting about Jerry Lewis, though, is he really experienced like the full breadth of what it is to be a Hollywood star, you know, coming up out of, uh, you know, early show business because his parents were also worked on stage and having his own time on stage as a teen doing comedy, becoming extremely famous very quickly, um, venturing out of his own, having a solo career, falling out of the spotlight and not working on movies at all for nearly a decade, trying to get back in the spotlight by directing again, faltering, eventually having a comeback of sorts in the 80s by starring uh, in The King of Comedy from Martin Scorsese. And yeah, it's 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 he's a he's a true Hollywood star. Um, he became a little bit more controversial as time went on simply because he always had kind of an old school attitude about politics and politically incorrect humor and those kinds of things. It's, it's kind of the, it's one of those things, though, where you almost like you, you forgive the casual, you know, uh, racism and conservative attitude that your grandparents have because they're older and that's exactly how they grew up. And it's hard to shake those kinds of things. Oh, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, and so, but so you can't, but you can't deny, you know, no matter how you felt felt about that side of him, like this was a, uh, you know, an entertainer through and through, and he shaped and influenced entertainment and plenty of uh, talented people on screen and behind the camera for years to come. I feel like a lot of people your age and younger, the millennial group um, that we have talked about on the podcast, uh, probably haven't had that much experience with Jerry Lewis. I know for me, I was exposed to him. Uh, by my father, I watched like the Nutty Professor, the Ladies Man, and I always loved his like goofier kind of slapsticky comedy as a kid. Um, as an adult, I kind of grew out of him. Um, but yeah, he he's definitely a comedic legend, and it is sad that uh, he is no longer with us. Um, moving on, uh, the uh, the creator of Child's Play has an idea for a Chucky movie where he would meet Freddy Krueger. Brad, you wrote this for Slash Film. What do we know? Uh, well, so Don Mancini is the creator of Child's Play, and he's been making the publicity rounds because there's a uh, direct-to-video sequel coming out called Cult of Chucky, which continues the crazy, murderous antics of the good guys doll that we love to see crack-wise and kill people. And uh, in an interview he uh, with uh, Necro Necronomicast, he talked about this idea he's had for a while to have Chucky meet up with Freddy Krueger from the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, basically, his idea is he they would do a horror movie version of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is a movie that start, from the 80s that starred Michael Caine and Steve Martin. And it's uh, he said it's called Child's Play on Elm Street. And basically what happens is Chucky ends up in the bedroom of a house on Elm Street and Freddie meets him there because obviously Freddie loves looking around Elm Street and messing with people's dreams. And they they actually already know of each other. They're fans of each other's work. Uh, <laughs> so so they have like, you know, this, this friendship there a little bit. But then they soon realize that Elm Street's just not big enough for the two of them to do what they each need to do to be satisfied. And so they end up turning against each other. I'm not sure that's good enough for a movie. Yeah, um... but what? Was Freddy versus Jason good enough for a movie? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Although, you know what? With all these studios trying to create these cinematic universes, you know, 
Universal with their uh, what is it called? The Dark Universe. Yeah. Um, I've why hasn't New Line? I mean, I guess they did try it out with Freddy versus Jason and Alien versus Predator, but I would love to see like this big horror movie mashup. Why? Why? Like, it doesn't have to be just Chucky versus Freddy. Why not have a movie that has like all the classic horror slasher? I, I'm not sure how you'd put them together, but well, I think I think that's the biggest problem. Is a how do you get them all together and have it make sense and not feel just like a everything but the kitchen sink scenario? And B, you know, negotiating the rights to have all those characters appear in the same movie. You know, how how do the yeah. studios take profits from the box office and and all that kind of stuff? So it's it's extremely difficult to work out. However. I could see something like that working out if, you know, Ready Player One turns out to be a big hit and people want to see more of this kind of mashup style and, you know, cinematic universes. I I feel like one of the things I've always lamented about the movie business because of how long it takes to make a movie and how expensive it is, is that we don't get to see these one-shot stories that would be like, oh, it would be cool if we could see this happen, you know, because yeah. comic books do that all the time where they have – oh, this is a story that's separate from the normal comic continuity, and it's just a, let's imagine if this happened. And I would, I wish that it was possible to see that happen in, in movie form, because I think there's a lot of cool ideas that you could see play. I mean, I, I mean, like, you know, there was the that, that idea for 23 Jump Street to be Men in Black meets 21 Jump Street. And I, th- I honestly thought that was a cool idea, and I, it made me wish that there was more of an opportunity to see crossovers like that, no matter how ridiculous they may be, just to see what they would be like. No, it could be interesting. Uh, the only thing I hate about these versus movies is it seems like it always is, you know, it's Freddy versus Jason or it's Batman versus Superman, and we get to see a fight for like ten minutes, and then it's them versus some humans of some kind. Do you know what I mean? Or them versus another threat? And like, I want to actually see the movie that they're advertising with the title. You know, I want to see Freddy versus Jason. I want to see Chucky versus Freddy. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like that's another problem is they always invent that other that third uh group in there uh but speaking of the versus movies um godzilla versus kong is coming up and adam wingard the director is doing press for his netflix uh movie which we also did a uh roundup on slash film i think you did you do the roundup on slash film for death note uh the oh yeah the early buzz yeah the early buzz which is not good right no yeah it is, it is not good <laughs> um but he's doing a lot of press for death note and people are asking him about uh his movie which is the sequel to godzilla godzilla 2 and uh kong skull island and it's going to be you know uh godzilla versus kong and uh, in the interviews you can read the whole piece on slash film we we ran up a bunch of quotes from entertainment weekly from comic book movie and from coming soon he talks about how it's going to be a darker movie um, that, you know, he wants people to take these characters secret, uh, seriously and he wants you to be emotionally invested, not just in the human characters, but also the monsters. Um, and he calls this movie a massive monster brawl movie. Uh, I mean, wh- what do you want to see from Godzilla versus Kong, Brad? I just want to see monsters going at it uh, against a big city skyline. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's really all I want. Like, uh, I'm a defender of Kong Skull Island. I think it fit right in, you know, with the B-movie pulpy style of monster movies from decades past. And I would yeah, like to... 
Kong Skull Island got a lot of criticism for the human story. And you know what? I didn't give a crap about the human story. I just wanted the fun monster action. And when when that movie was giving me fun monster action, it was fun. And it was monster action. So I I won. Yeah, I I agree with you hardly. So I think that if uh, Kong or Godzilla versus Kong can emulate that same kind of spirit and give us something fun that you know is worth seeing on the big screen and doesn't get lost with and this is this is one of the few times when you you want to you hear somebody say this and it makes sense as i don't want to get lost you know in the the character development and the humanity of it because like that's that's not as important when you're dealing with these two giant movie monsters and i was talking before about how you have all these versus movies and you don't have a winner um Wingard talking to Entertainment Weekly says, I do want there to be a winner. The original film was very fun, but you feel a little let down that the movie doesn't take a definitive stance. Uh, people are still debating now who won in the original movie, you know. So I do want to wa- people to walk away from this film feeling like, okay, there is a winner. So that that is pleasing to me. Um, but we'll have to see. Uh, based on, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Wingard defender. Um, I like his earlier films. I haven't seen Death Note, but reading these review these earlier reviews of this Netflix film is not uh, it's it's not not promising at all. Um, also in the news, David Hasselhoff is promoting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Volume Two, which he makes a slight a small cameo appearance in and in the soundtrack. And uh, he's been talking about how he wants to make a Knight Rider a uh, new Knight Rider movie. Uh, at first he said he talked to James Gunn about making the movie. Now he says he wants it directed by Robert Rodriguez and he wants it to be an R-rated uh, gritty film like Logan. You wrote the article for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, David Hasselhoff has been making publicity rounds lately because not only is he does he have that small cameo in Guardians 2, but because of that song on the soundtrack, Guardians Inferno, he uh, stars in the music video along with pretty much the entire cast of Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn wearing all their disco wardrobe and that kind of thing. And so he's been tagging along with some of the, the interviews for that have been doing for home video rounds. And so this has given him the opportunity to, you know, hold on to the spotlight a little bit longer while he's kind of relevant for now. <laughs> uh, and he, you know, is desperate for Knight Rider to make a comeback. And it's not, he's not, I don't think he's necessarily looking to star in it, but he just wants to see the show come back, whether it's in a movie or a TV series, and get its due diligence as it hasn't been able to be remade properly yet, despite the fact that they've tried a few times. Um, he doesn't come out and say that he wants it to be R-rated, but he does say that he wants it to be kind of like Logan, where it's a little bit uh, darker. And he does throw throw it out there of um, having himself as Knight Rider in, in this instance by having the aged version of the character um david hasselhoff's not really the kind of serious actor who i think can pull off this aged role in the same way that a hugh jackman could or uh, or you know another veteran actor so i'm not really sure that he can accomplish what he thinks this movie yeah. should and i'm also not even really sure that there's a big enough fan base that wants to see David Hasselhoff do something like that. Unless, of course, he could totally pull, like, a Mickey Rourke and do, like, uh, have, like, a other wrestler moment. And, you know, it could yeah. be something It could be something amazing, for sure. But I, I don't know. I just don't see it happening. 
I also don't think there's any interest in the Knight Rider franchise. I mean, they tried to bring it back as a TV show a few years back, and that kind of skid out really fast. Um, and it just seems to me that he's, you know, just trying to make something happen. And it also seems to me that he kind of, all this talk seems reflective of his experience with the Bay, Baywatch movie, which he kind of keeps on saying in interviews he doesn't want it to be jokey, he doesn't want it to be, you know, a parody of Knight Rider, and it seems like, it almost seems like a reaction to what he experienced with Baywatch, and it doesn't seem like he liked the uh, the Baywatch movie that much. No, he definitely did, and that's, that's a big part of where he's at in his headspace right now, and Plus, it's not like he has much going on outside of the stuff that he used to star in. So he just keeps trying to, you know, get people to pay attention to that and listen to what he has to say about those properties. Okay, so over the weekend, a few video game trailers were released. One for Star Wars Battlefront 2 and another for Jurassic World Evolution. Uh, you wrote both of them up for the site. What do we know about both? Yeah, Gamescom is happening right now. It's this big video game uh, conference and exhibition where video game companies are showing off all sorts of new footage, announcing new games and that kind of thing. So we're starting to see a lot of new titles announced. And uh, since a lot of them do have ties to movies, that's something that we're pretty interested in. And so this November, we'll bring Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, it's the sequel to the game that came back for, um, for current generation systems back when The Force Awakens was coming to theaters in 2015. And uh, it's it's a little bit different this time. They've fixed some of the issues that you just complained about in the original game, including adding a campaign mode and changing up the gameplay a little bit. And over the weekend, they finally showed us footage of the new uh, and seemingly improved Starfighter Assault game mode, which allows you to uh, obviously be inside of a Starfighter and partake in many of the big battles that happen in space throughout the Star Wars universe. And as we've learned from previous trailers, this video game spans all eras of Star Wars. So we get everything from battles uh, in the prequels involving ARC-170 fighters and droid fighters to stuff that happens after Return of the Jedi uh, when the Death Star 2 explodes and there are battles between X-Wings and TIE fighters among the debris of the exploded Death Star. And we also get to see uh, some of the newer stuff as there's a battle that happens um, in the unknown regions where Poe Dameron is leading an X-Wing uh, squadron. And we also get a very quick shot of Kylo Ren's TIE silencer uh, flying into battle as well. So we get to see a lot of cool action. Uh, it also does some things that with characters that we haven't seen them do before. We get to see Yoda flying a Jedi Starfighter, <laughs> which hasn't, hasn't been seen um, in the movies, at least. And in, in this particular moment in the trailer he's flying after Darth Maul in his Sith Interceptor so there's plenty of stuff here that you know Star Wars fans have never gotten really to experience before which is part of the appeal of the game and it looks like it's going to be really fun Yeah, this is the type of game that I would like to play but I know I would be really bad at especially since the story mode is going to be completely canon uh, and that that, that scene in, you know spanning that entire uh, entire era of Star Wars uh, stories is interesting the 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 one i would actually like uh, that i think i would be good at i don't have the system is jurassic world evolution what do we know about this game uh, actually you will be able to play this one because uh jurassic world evolution is a game that will, will be available on pc xbox one and playstation 4 oh i have playstation 4 i mean i yeah. don't use it my girlfriend uses it but 
Uh, now that I know that it's going to be available, this is definitely a game I would like to try out. Uh, why don't you explain it to the people listening? Yeah, so uh, if you've ever played any of those older computer games like Roller Coaster Tycoon or SimCity, that's essentially what Jurassic World Evolution is going to be. Uh, it will allow you to create your own dinosaur theme park in the same vein of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, where you have to maintain it and keep the dinosaurs in their enclosures and keep visitors coming in, all that sort of thing. Um, it, the trailer itself does show feature footage, and it, it's rendered footage, so it's not actual gameplay of a T-Rex escaping an enclosure by breaking through a fence that's being worked on by a construction crew. He eats a dude, uh, goes after another um, pack of dinosaurs, and, and throws one of them around before you pan up and you see that this is all happening at a fully operational theme park that looks just like Jurassic World. It does show, you know... Um, like a, a cursor erasing part of the jungle area and putting in this facility where uh, a load of people hops into a helicopter to try and chase down the T-Rex. So it's uh, it's definitely going to have the same kind of gameplay where you're building your own theme park and overseeing it in a sort of, you know, uh, God's eye view, if you will, of the entire theme park. And I, I think, go I, ahead. I, I just wonder how often things are going to go wrong at this dinosaur theme park. And when things go wrong, is that going to cause like, bad publicity so now people aren't going to be coming to the park so i mean like i'm wondering yeah because like in sim city you used to have sometimes like you know king kong would come or you know crazy earthquakes or whatever but that was like very rare but i think with dinosaurs that would probably happen more often yeah i'm sure that's going to be part of it is making sure that your park is safe enough so that the dinosaurs don't get out or if they do you're able to keep it under control quickly so that people don't die because um, the part of the game will be figuring out how to keep your attendees interested in your park, which will include an element that allows you to bioengineer your own dinosaur hybrids, uh, because that worked out so well for the people at Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, the thing about this kind of game is I wish it was for mobile platforms, because I feel like if something like this was on my phone, I'd be, you know, building the park in between, you know, waiting for a movie or, you know, whatever. But I feel like something like this might be too small for a console nowadays i mean i'm not a console gamer gamer anyways but i feel like this is kind of more of a like almost like a farmville like thing that i would like to do you know just in my downtime yeah but i think by putting it on console it can be a little bit more intensive as far as you know the, the graphics and the actual gameplay is concerned because um while the basic concept does feel very much like a farmville or uh those what's the name of that that military game that Arnold Schwarzenegger is always promoting. Uh, I do not know. Clash of Clans? I, no. no, that's something different. It's, but it's like, it's like <laughs> this, the idea is that like you have this military base and you're building it up with tourists to keep you know enemies from getting in and, and that kind of thing. It, it's a very simple game. Yeah, engine. but all, all those games are like a money suck. It's all like you yeah, know, yeah. It's pay money to get this done quicker or you got to wait. Um, I, think, sure. well, I think that's another part of the reason why that they don't want to do mobile is because that's what they would have to do. And this is a game I think that they want that has much more potential to be bigger on a console, especially because, you know, if you were looking at a big park on your just your phone, your iPad, you're going to be doing a lot of scrolling around a big swatch of land as opposed to, you know, playing it on your big TV at home and having a whole a much larger viewing area. For sure. For sure. I know some people that have already maxed out their Simpsons tapped out areas. In today's feature presentation, we're going to have a discussion of Sunday night's Game of Thrones episode and this season as a whole. I'm going to bring on with me Ben Pearson. 
Hey, what's up? And Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. So, Ben, what is going on with Game of Thrones? So, Game of Thrones, uh, we've already talked about the increased pacing, but now I feel like the show is coming dangerously close to jumping the shark uh, with the most recent episode, Beyond the Wall. This is the one in which the characters uh, are at Swatch by the Sea, and they pass on into the Great White North and... Uh, there's a whole battle with the undead and the dragons come in. I mean, this is like full on spoiler territory here. Um, I was cringing throughout this entire episode. I thought this was one of the toughest things to watch uh, that Game of Thrones has done in a very long time. Uh, Jacob, I know you wrote a review of the episode at SlashFilm.com and you were a little bit kinder, but you also sort of sensed some of these frustrations too, right? Yeah, I did. I'm actually a lot kinder than you. I wouldn't use the phrase jumping the shark, but I would say this this episode does display what Game of Thrones does so well, but also what it's been doing so poorly this season. Because I love these characters to death. I loved watching them. I don't even mind the machinations it took to bring these people together for this episode, this men-on-a-mission story beyond the wall. And I, you know, in order to you know, be able to see Jorah and Jon and the Hound, all these characters who shouldn't be together be together is so cool and so satisfying but i take issue with the numerous leaps it's asking us to make in a row it's asking us to believe that gendry can run back to Eastwatch on his own in an unspecified amount of time send a raven and daenerys can return with dragons to save the day but there's no sense of time or pace to this it seems to happen almost overnight which goes against how carefully the show has established geography before and how important that's been to the show beforehand. And it's, it's a case where the show is starting to sacrifice its own internal logic in order to feed these big special effects moments. And I love these big special effects moments. And I would love to say that these moments are more important than logic, but this was a case where it just went one step way too far for me. Yeah. And this is something that you and I have talked about on previous episodes of this podcast, too, where like we were talking about, um, you know, we're willing to sort of push some of the logic stuff to the side as long as the moments and the connections really land for us. Right. And Brad, I'm wondering where you stand in this whole thing. What, what do you think about the way the show has changed so drastically this year? Is it connecting with you more or is it frustrating you more? Um, on some level, it's definitely felt a little more exciting you know, um, it's. I feel I like the fact that the faster pace allows for the story to move a little bit faster. Um, as much as I have enjoyed Game of Thrones, and I do appreciate the the power that comes with the slow burn of everything. As you know, whether it's because of how long it takes people to get from one location to another, or because of the long game each of these characters are playing in trying to you know win this Game of Thrones, if you will. Um, but I, I do on an entertainment level, appreciate how fast paced the story is because it affords us, you know, seeing these things that would otherwise take probably another season for us to get to. And, uh, but at at the same time though, I do find myself wondering the same things you're talking about as far as like, you know, can Gendry really make it back that quickly in order for, you know, Daenerys to hop on her dragon and come save the day. And how fortunate are we that, you know, uh, Jon Snow can again be saved by a character who we haven't seen for a long time, just mm-hmm. in the nick of, nick of time. And he happens to have a horse who can last the entire way in this bitter cold and storm all the way back to the wall. 
it's uh it can be tough to swallow but i think the the coolness that is coming with the story as the white walkers are getting closer to all of our characters and the larger war amongst all these kingdoms is coming together is i think worth that sacrifice on some level yeah, I wish I could. I mean, I, I I see what you're talking about, and I think you are representative of a lot of Game of Thrones fandom right now. A lot of people are are more willing to, um, you know, they they like generally speaking those big sort of oh shit moments. And for me, this episode in particular, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for those moments as much as the next person, but I just didn't really think that that Beyond the Wall delivered those moments in a cohesive or really interesting way. I was like. I couldn't figure out who was who out there in the snow. It was like they showed us that just seven people were walking out at the end of last episode. And then all of a sudden there are these like red shirts who are out there just to die. And you never know who they are. It doesn't matter when they die. And then, I mean, there are just so many things about this episode that didn't make any sense. Like why didn't Beric and Thoros use their fire swords to stay warm at night or to melt the ice to keep like a safety ring around them before everyone attacked or uh you know <laughs> the whole thing with the with Danny swooping in at the end is ludicrous to me and even when one of her dragons dies like why don't we get a bigger reaction from her she should have been like Anna Gunn in that Breaking Bad episode Ozymandias where she just like completely loses her shit and breaks down. This is like one of her children and she can't, she doesn't cry. She doesn't scream. She doesn't do anything. And if the whites can't swim, how did they attach giant chains to a sunken underwater drag? I don't know. There are just so many questions. Where is Bran and all this? What is he doing? It's, I, I wish that the spectacle was worth it to me, but I'm I'm so bogged down with all these questions that the show used to address head on and answer, and that's what I loved about it. And now it's just it's becoming something totally different, and and it's yeah, it's, it's supremely frustrating to me. I, I, so have you, a, uh, I have a question for you guys. Now I'm not a big Game of Thrones fan like you guys are. Uh, you have that big oh shit moment at the end where you see the dragon has now become a White Walker, right? Essentially. Right. Uh, so, oh, my God. Holy shit. That, that That's awesome. But then you think about it and you're like, so what now is it, there's going to be this dragon fighting among the White Walkers breathing ice like it just doesn't for me doesn't make much sense. Like, how, how is that going to be exciting in the future other than that moment? Oh, well, you got you have a, a giant zombie dragon fighting on, on the side of a zombie army. And that's actually <laughs> pretty exciting to me. That's all I need. I, I, I guess I'm just a lot more positive than Ben here. Um, not maybe not quite as positive as Brad, but I guess it's important to note that no matter what happens, and Game of Thrones could belly flop spectacularly in final season after this, and it'll still be my favorite thing ever. I was just telling the guys earlier today that this is my Star Wars. This is the thing that I love unconditionally. So when I complain about it, it's strictly from a place of love, and I, I am not even I'm not mad at it. I'm disappointed. I I, I just I love it enough that I want to pick it apart and want to talk about why this didn't work. I wouldn't even say jump the shark was a phrase that crossed my mind last night. I, I, I felt like this was a case where they bent to blockbuster spectacle when I wanted more characters. As I wrote in my review today, my favorite moments of the episode are was not the big zombie fight at the end where heroes having their last stand against the army, but when they're all walking to the battle and all the various characters are essentially pairing off and and having uh, little moments together and trading stories and seeing how these characters from such different worlds are bouncing off each other. And that, to me, is what Game of Thrones is all about. 
And the, on that level, the episode is still delivered. I still liked watching these characters be together on the screen, even when logic failed them. So I'm still on board to the end. And I'll, I'll, I may sound negative at times, but this is still my favorite show. And it's my favorite fictional world of all time. Brad, and, do you have any, uh, any final words? Uh, you know, I, I was with Jacob, too, where uh, responding to Peter that that moment when they bring the dragon up, I was like, oh, my God, like, that's going to be insane to see like that dragon going up against you know what Daenerys has left and this yeah the battle with the white walkers is will probably be a tv but, but what what changes the dragon now that it's a white walker dragon uh, well, I, I mean it's it's think, controlled by them right yeah i mean you, you just have to think you have to look at the white walkers themselves and look at how strong the night king is and what he can do and think about the fact that he's given you know, so, those so, so it just becomes like evil Superman. It's not like he's now going to be breathing I- ice and freezing things. I think, he, oh. I think there's a very good chance that it's breathing ice. I think it's it's going to be like a Harry Potter sort of scenario where like the wizard, you know, wand powers are like meeting in the middle and, you know, different colors and stuff. I can very e- easily oh. see them doing like a literal battle of ice and fire with a, a, an ice breathing dragon. That would not yeah. surprise me at all. And we had an entire episode of this season where the entire last 15 minutes was saying, hey, here's what one dragon can do to an entire army of people and now we have an, an enemy with no remorse and no holds barred that has a dragon so it's less about the dragon being a zombie and maybe more about having one dragon like having an atom bomb yeah it's more about yes. them having a weapon uh david chen who, who's part of slash film editor at large um he runs a game of thrones podcast a very popular game of thrones podcast that gets 100 times more listeners than this podcast uh called the cast of kings which you sub- should subscribe to if you like game of thrones sunday night he periscoped basically saying his first impression is this is the worst episode of the entire series for him <laughs> Wow. Now, is, um, is is he being over dramatic here? God, I, yes. I mean, I think the other guys, the, yeah, the other guys would say yes, and I would say that that's a strong statement, but it's probably not too far off from my uh, own personal thoughts. I mean, there have been other episodes that I haven't liked, but none have been so like um, uh, just deep within my core. I'm watching it, and I everything about it is screaming, "This is wrong" to me more than Beyond the Wall, the most recent episode. So I, I sort of, I think I'm on, I'm on Dave's side here okay then l- l- let me just ask the the two remaining what what is worse than this episode the episodes that are worse the ones that can't remember the ones where they're literally twiddling their thumbs because they have to kill the 10 hour count you have to it's episodes where literally nothing happens and things are slowing down i can't tell you their episode titles beyond the wall for all that's wrong with it i won't be able to forget beyond the wall i won't forget when i watch it i won't forget watching when the dragon died i won't forget being frustrated by it I won't forget having this conversation about it. At the very least, Beyond the Wall is an interesting failure, a frustrating failure, and one that I found frequently interesting and fun. Whereas there are episodes of Game of Thrones that are just slogs, and they're just setting things up. And for me, an interesting failure will always be more interesting than a slog. Okay, guys, I want to thank you all for having this discussion on the podcast. Uh, Jacob, you can find more of his work on Slash Film and on Twitter at Jacob S. Hall. Uh, ben Pearson, you can find us slash film and on Twitter at Ben Pears and Brad Omen, who has to be complicated. You can find on slash film and on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton and his podcast. Go flick, your, go flicks yourself. And you can find me at slash film uh, at slash film on Twitter. And if you like this show, please go to iTunes. Please rate us, review us. Uh, that helps us out quite a bit. And we'll see you tomorrow.